All right. If you do have a question, raise your hand and we'll get you a mic so that they can record that. I don't know. Are, do we live stream this or is it just for the audio? Okay. I just yes, had um, a question. When we were in John 15. Oh, yes. Um, and it talks about every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Yes. So I just, and I hadn't noticed this before, but when it talks about every branch in me that does not bear fruit, can you kind of clarify what he's talking about there? Yeah, I think the idea is there are many branches connected to me in some way. Um, the, I would say it would be equivalent to there are many who profess to know me. They're associated with me. And there are some branches that profess to know Christ that bear no fruit. What does he do with those branches? Ultimately, he's going to take them away. Um, and then there's other branches that are in him that are associated with him professing to, to have faith. And those branches bear fruit in which ones are disciples and which ones aren't. The ones that bear fruit are the disciples. So there's some association. This would be actually really similar to his parable of the tares. If you remember the parable of the wheat and the tares, he's, the sower goes out, sows a bunch of seed in the field, and then at night his enemy comes and scatters tares, weeds in the field. And they all grow up together. And so there's this, well, I'm looking out at my field, and there's, I can't tell the difference between the wheat and the tare. And you can't tell until harvest time when some of those don't have any fruit on them. And they look the same. And so there's an association. Uh, I, I, it would be something like, there are many members of our church, some of whom bear no fruit and will be taken away. There are many who profess to know Christ, but they don't actually know him. Good question. Other questions? Oh, uh, we have a visitor here. PJ is an old friend of mine. Hi, yeah, we're visiting from Norwalk, and um, just want to say, just want to say, we felt very welcomed here. No, in in light of what you were saying, can you give some counsel um, on how? Maybe this is a two part question. How do we? How can we? Or can we give any sort of assurance to those who make a profession of faith? You're out evangelizing, or one of your children wants to pray with you. Uh, there, there hasn't been time for fruit. H how would you? counsel or deal with? Maybe a child's the best example because I know that I have that experience. How would you, uh, in light of what you taught this morning, how would, you, how would you assure or counsel someone who's just made a profession of faith in regards to any sort of assurance? I, okay, so the, well, I don't have to repeat the question because you had a mic. That's great. Um, in order to, to have assurance, I think assurance is not a one-time thing. Assurance is not something that's permanent. Assurance is, uh, it fluctuates. So when Peter denies the Lord three times, what does he do? He goes out and he weeps bitterly. At that moment, where was his assurance? I think largely it was out the window at that moment. But what did Christ say beforehand to him? I have prayed for you when you have turned he speaks of, I, you're going to turn back. At what point does his assurance return? I think at that point when he does turn back to Christ, 
That's part of, at least part of what's going on at the end of John, where Jesus says, do you love me? Feed my disciple. And he keeps saying that over and over again. Um, and he finally says, Lord, you know, I love you. Uh, you can kind of tell there's some assurance issues there. So regarding uh, the, the faith of a child or, or perhaps just somebody who's struggling with assurance, the, the assurance that we have comes from what we do. I think this is perfectly consistent with what James is saying. When we sin, are we demonstrating that we know the Lord? No, we're demonstrating unbelief. So what's that going to do to our assurance? It ought to hurt our assurance. The assurance comes as we repent of that sin, turn from that sin, and abide in Christ, and so bear much fruit and prove to be his disciples. If we're not bearing much fruit, where's our proof? Our proof's kind of missing. And there might be periods in our lives where we look and say, I was completely unfruitful during those months. So no assurance comes from that. And it, uh, let, me, let me add this. I don't think I said it so much in the message. I hinted at it at least. But do not, for your assurance, say, I know that when I was seven, I really meant that prayer. That's, that's unbiblical. That's not the grounds of your assurance. The grounds of your assurance is not that you said a prayer years ago. The ground of your assurance is that you are presently abiding in Christ. That's where your assurance comes from. And bearing much fruit is what proves that you are his disciple. So the, the prayer that you said when you were seven, that may be great. If you go on unfruitful in your life, that prayer when you were seven is absolutely worthless. It's not going to save you. Because that prayer is in conflict with the way the rest of your life has been lived. So the assurance that, that we're seeking comes from what we do and where there is, uh, well, he says it in 15, um, verse, let me find it here. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And so that's what, that's what we gain our assurance from is the, the Lord's work in our heart, producing work, producing fruit in our lives. And if you're lacking that fruit right now, that's what you want to seek. Lord, Please, if I am bearing in you, bear much fruit in, in, in me. Show me that you're working in me. Change me. Prune the branches, the worthless things out of my life that are bearing no fruit so that I might bear more fruit to your glory and to, to my good. Uh, now, you had, I think you said maybe a two-part. Did you want to follow up with that? Since you're not working right now, I'm not going to ask you to add anything to it. Just if you have another question check oh there um so you've addressed well the those who have been unfruitful for a time is there then any assurance we can give someone who's just come to a profession of faith they have neither fruitlessness nor fruitfulness because they've only been confessing christ for 20 seconds okay so let me yes the question then what about right at the beginning and i think the assurances that we often give people right at the beginning are pretty good 
That is, if you believe you can know for certain now that you are going to heaven, we say something along those lines, that's fine as far as it goes. Because what will be true if they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, right now, what will be true? They will bear much fruit. So there's a limited assurance that we can offer someone at that moment. It's absolutely true. When Paul says to the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your whole household. There wasn't like a, it's probably true or it might be true. It was total, absolute. If you do believe, you will be saved. That's absolutely true. But the assurance that you have believed only comes through the, the fruit that is born out in your life. I would avoid giving assurance that if, you know, if you say this prayer, you will, you know, you're going to heaven. That's not true. If you believe the words of that prayer, you will be saved. But just saying it doesn't do anything and writing it down in your Bible. And here's a card that says, here's the night of your salvation. And that, 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 that can be really confusing because when you bear no fruit, guess what you do? You go back to that card and you say, well, I know I'm saved even though I'm bearing no fruit. And that's not helpful. Um, the assurance that we have is if we do believe, we will be saved. Absolutely. If we do believe, we will bear fruit. And it's from that fruit that we're given assurance. Yes, Deb. Oh, another one here too. Oh, oh ladies first. Okay. Um, well, I know that throughout my life, um, I guess I would like to ask, what do you mean by bearing fruit? Because in my life, the whole thing was, how many people have you seen profess the Lord because of what you said? Mm. Good. So what, is, what does it mean to bear fruit? I, and I go back to the definition I gave of works that James has, the outworking of an internal reality. Or as John says, obey my commandments. Uh, or Jesus says, obey my commandments. And John says, keep my commandments. Or whatever. They both say something very similar. It is not an issue of, you may, you, it is possible that you go through your entire life and are not the direct cause of anyone else ever coming to, to salvation. That is possible. It is not possible that you go through your entire life and never have anything to do with, you know, the, the sanctification of any other human being. That's no fruit. So the, whether or not you lead someone to salvation or not, whether or not you have so many people that you've said the prayer with, that's not fruit. In fact, I would say back to Matthew 7, Jesus says, Lord, there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And the things that they list are pretty mighty works. And he says, I never knew you. So it's not the effect of what you do. It's the reality of your, of your heart. Now, then maybe I should have explained this a little more clearly, but works then would include things as simple as not showing partiality. That is a good work. Uh, being kind to one another is a good work. Being patient with each other is a good work. Or as he says in James 3, 
Be peaceable. Show your wisdom as you're peaceable and gentle and open to reason. And all that he says there in James 3.10, I think it is, all that he lists there, those are all good works. And not one of those has any reference to preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel is a good work. I mean, that's a good thing to do. But do not assume that that's the way that you know that you're really saved, is that you've converted a bunch of other people. That can be one way that demonstrates fruit, that you're faithful in sharing God's word with others. That's a great thing. But whether or not others accept that and are converted by it, that doesn't prove whether or not you're bearing fruit. The, the good work is becoming like Jesus Christ. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians that as we see him, as we behold him, as he really is, we become like him. We look at him, we gaze upon him, and we are changed, and we become like him. And that ultimately is the good work, that we're becoming more like Jesus Christ. That's not works of the law. It's not conformity to an external law. It's the outworking of an internal reality. We are his children, and we're becoming more and more like him. Thank you for that uh, clarifying question there, Deb. Matthew. Kind of stole my question. So, Sweet. So, thank you. Follow-up, or are you good? Uh, um, I guess as a follow-on to that, like, because when I think about this, like, hey, I don't see any, as you put it, like, mighty works in my life. Like, what's, and I, my brain is like, you know, find a different metric to see how you're doing. I'm like, I don't want that to be a thing where I'm looking for a metric to measure myself of actually doing what I'm supposed to be doing. What's a good way to steer away from where our brains want to shoot to of like, oh, well, I haven't, tried to proselytize. I haven't, you know, gone out and worked to the homeless shelter. What's, what's the way to avoid that kind of way of thinking of making it a checklist kind of, well, I need to go do a good work now. Good. Yeah. Good question. We don't want to come up with our own list, human list of ways to know that you're assured because we have a divine list of how we know whether or not we are bearing fruit. Ultimately, what you want to do is read the scripture and study and, and meditate on the scripture. What does James say in chapter two? Look into the mirror and don't go away and do nothing. Let me, let me just read the verses. Uh, Pastor Jeremy and I have talked so much about them. They're in my mind, but I don't want to assume that you remember exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, verse chapter one, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Don't do that. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So what we do is we come to scripture, we look into the mirror, and we're, we're looking at, is this me? Or have I fallen short of this? In what ways have I failed to do this? And Lord, make me more like you. That's, that's as simple as you can get. That's the checklist. So I don't have any of my own checklist because whatever passage I'm in, I'm beholding Christ. I'm seeing God's character and I'm asking myself, is that true or not? And if it's not, Lord, how can I change? What branches do you need to prune away from me? What things do you need to cut out of my life in order that this might be true of me? Does that help? Yeah. 
on the checklist. Do that every week. Every time you come to, to church, every time you open God's word, that's what we're doing. Is this me or not? Because if it's not, I need to change. Don't go away and forget that. Persevere. Do it. All right. Uh, Kevin and then Lee, I think, in front has a question. Oh, and Shepard has a question. But we're not going to call on him. Well, I, <laughs> I just got these thoughts going around in my mind that, that you know, just... Everything we're hearing, it sounds like maybe, uh, is there a way, or are we looking at it wrong to want to have this assurance that we keep talking about assurance? Is, can we actually have that until we come to the day that we meet the Lord Jesus? Because we're talk, how do we know we're not living as that person that the seed fell on the rock? Right now, we're strong or whatever, how do we know we're not one of those parables instead of, and have that assurance or false sense of assurance? Yeah. You know what I mean? I I just, can you address that? Is there a way that somebody can actually have that ultimate assurance until the day you've won the race? Yes. The answer is no. There is no way to have an assurance which outlasts your sin and fruitlessness. And you do not want that. What you want is an assurance that comes from what the Lord is doing in you. And we know that if we bear no fruit, what is he going to do? Cut us off. And it's, it's showing that we're not in him. So we don't want an assurance that lasts forever. We want an assurance that's now, that's present. And... Uh, I think Jeremy probably knows the verse off the top of his head, but Hebrews, and if we hold fast until the end. Do you know what I'm talking about? Let me... Yes, thank you. Yeah, that's it. I, I was, I literally have my finger on it, but I didn't remember the number, so thank you. Um, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 in 13, well, through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. So that's the warning. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So when do I do that? Today. Every day. I can't do that today to take care of tomorrow. Kind of like collecting manna, unless it's the Sabbath, you get one day. You only gather for one day and you have to come back and do it every day. Why? So that we depend upon the Lord. So that we know man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of his mouth. So he only gives us grace for today. He gives us the the grace that's sufficient for today. So exhort one another every day as long as it's called today so that we're not hardened. But then the important part is, or in regard to your question, is 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. To the end. That's our hope. I mean, that's been my prayer these last weeks with Ron, especially, and, and Blanche, as they go through this suffering, help them to hold firm until the end. 
give them faith until the end because we know we have come to know him if we do that until the end. Um, and so that, that's, that's the kind of assurance that God gives us. He gives us the kind of assurance that keeps us dependent on him day by day. And we don't want an assurance that helps, that allows us to work independently of him and not need to come back tomorrow for the same assurance again. That will harden us. Okay, uh, Lee. Well, this is kind of along those lines that, you know, when you say bear much fruit, well, like how much is much? Is one grape enough or does it have to be a hundred bushels of grapes? Or, you know, it, it's, it's such an amorphous uh, thing. It's pretty vague. But I find instead of looking at it as so much as that way is, is Christ becoming more precious to me? And am I appreciating him more and realizing how much more I need a savior because of my own sin? And it's just kind of a, a drawing near to him and hopefully becoming like him. And uh, instead of just, you know, making a list of things, well, did I do this? Did I do this? Check off the list. It's more of that, are we literally, Christ is over there. Am I getting closer to him and seeing him better and behaving likewise? Yeah. Yes, that's absolutely right, that it is seeing Christ and becoming more like him, seeing him formed in us, seeing our lives transformed to become more like him. That's fundamentally what it's about. It is not about a checklist of, you know, am I doing this, this, or this? But as we read scripture, there are certainly are lists, and we need to take those seriously too. Um, now, you said one thing, he is more precious to us. That can be deceiving. Because in my heart, I might feel as though he's more precious to me. How do I know if he is more precious to me? If I, if I feel he's more precious to me, I'm having my devotions, reading the Bible, and praying, and I feel that he's more precious to me, and then I walk away and berate my wife, I'm unkind to my children, was he more precious to me? No, he, he wasn't, even if I feel like it. Now, I'm not saying that's what, what you're saying, but we need to warn ourselves against that, that we not think um, just because I feel one way that that's proof. No, the proof comes. We really do feel that way. He is more precious to us when we, when we act on it. Well, see, to me then, the, the side of it is I've always had a pretty almost transactional view of salvation, that I do this, and I, I know it in my head, and my emotions have been kind of pushed back there. So I am happy and pleased to have the emotional connection to what my brain and knows in an intellectual way. So to me, that is meaningful. It so. is very, no, it is meaningful. I don't want to diminish that at all. Our affections are critical. Uh, there is no... I. I guess the opposite danger would be we think, oh, I don't care how I feel about the Lord, whether or not I love him or not. I'm just going to do what he told me to do. That's, that's not good. Uh, we should not be that way. Our affections matter and our affections are part of our works. But what do we love? What do we truly value and treasure? That will be proved by what we, by what we do. Uh, Jeremy, just just piggybacking off Lee, 
where Daniel's coming from, he and I have had conversations with people in the midst of high-handed, unrepentant, grave sin, insisting, you can't tell me I don't love Jesus. Like, no, I, I, I can, because if you love Jesus, you will endeavor to keep his commandments. And so where Daniel's saying can be deceptive, we have met people who are in high-handed, heavy-duty, unrepentant sin who have convinced themselves that because they missed up and they shed a tear when they sing a song, they're okay. So there's two ditches on either side of the road. There is a transactional ditch that is, have I done enough good works to be for God to love me today? But there's just as much addition on the other side that because I have strong feelings, that overrides and and um, invalidates all the other negative fruit warnings. And, and that's, I, I think, sort of counterbalance it as well, is those people exist too. The people who will insist, because I have feelings, completely separated from everything else, I know I'm okay. Okay, so those are the two digits. Let me get back to one other part you brought up. Uh, how much fruit is one grape enough? You're, no. I mean, of course not. Of course it's not. Because what's the question? It's how, it's how much fruit can we bear? It's not how little fruit can we get away with bearing. We want to bear much fruit. Now, I don't know what that means. Some trees are smaller and they're younger and they're going to bear less. That's not the issue. You want it to be much no matter what. I, I wanted to mention it in the sermon, but I needed to confess that I went home and I was looking at that nectarine tree I told you about and I found one nectarine on the tree. I didn't know if this was prophetic in some way. The, the nectarine was covered in Japanese uh, beetles. So here's my dilemma is I'm left with, is it a healthy tree? I have no idea. I still don't know. I wanted to know. I wanted to know. So we were, it's not like, oh, I've got one fruit. That proves it. No, it, I mean, that's not the point at all. We want to go out and bear much fruit. We want to be like Christ in every way we can and not hold on to, well, I really want to sin in my whole life, but in order to have assurance, I'm going to go to church Sunday morning, and that's my fruit, and that's my good work, and it proves. No, 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 no. Bear much fruit. Bear much fruit. Tim. So in Scripture, there is tension. And so could you talk on the subject of assurance when it comes to things like 1 John 5 and being born again and that aspect? Okay, uh, 1 John 5, are you talking about the sin that leads to death? No, I'm talking about um, 1 John 5, 11 and 12. Okay. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Yeah, so these quote. things I've written to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay, let me find that verse, sorry. 13, yeah, thank you. I was looking before it. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hear, his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked from him. Are you thinking in terms of prayer? No, I'm, no. So 
So I'm trying to go to the part where early in my, when I first came to know Christ, I was involved with the Navigators. And so you learn basic verses on assurance. And so I don't, I don't want to take us off track. I, I truly believe that I must bear fruit. Apart from God, I can do nothing. I need to persevere to the end, all these things. But there's also this aspect of parts in the scripture where Jesus talked to Nicodemus and said, you must be born again. There was a time when I grew up in a, in a church of a certain denomination that you went, you went to church and going to church proved it was that, you know, that's, yeah. you know, you went through catechism and all this stuff. And I remember sitting at a table with my brother who led me to Christ and this particular pastor said, well, I've been born again six, seven, eight, nine times, you know, and my brother kept sharing the scripture with him. Um, and so his concept of being born again was totally different than my brother's concept of being born again as he shared the scriptures with him. Just a total disconnect. So anyway, but the concept of being born again, the concept of having some assurance, because I truly understood what being born again was after I was born again. Yeah. So is there a connection there? Yeah, there, there's definitely a connection. We want to know that we're born again. And if we've been born again, what's the implication? When someone is born, what are we looking for? Life. We're looking, for, yeah, we're looking in the, in the hospital after the baby is born. What are we looking for? That scream, right? And the reason we want that scream is because it proves that they breathed. They can't scream without breathing. It's pretty, pretty tough uh, to do that. So that scream proves they have breath. But what we're looking for ultimately is life. We want to see that there's life and the signs of life prove we have been born again. So there's no question God wants us to have assurance. He wants us to have confidence that we have come to know him. We really do know him. And that confidence, uh, as Kevin was asking, that confidence is not for tomorrow. The confidence is for today, that as I walk with him and abide with him, I am living. How do I know I'm living? Because I'm bearing fruit. I'm, I'm He's changing me. He's making me more like Jesus Christ. He's taking away my sin and he's making me more like his son. And that gives me assurance. That assurance is uh, very important. It's very precious to us. John writes, he wants us to have that confidence. He's not alone. Paul wants us to know that we have come to know him. Those are all truths. I'm only guarding against applying that to tomorrow because what, what, is typically presented is, I know I'm living with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I know that I haven't gone to church in six years. I know that whatever, fill in the blank. Clearly the life of this person does not look like Jesus Christ, but I have assurance that I'm going to heaven because, and they point to something in the past. That's what I want to guard us against. But for today, we ought to have assurance. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? Okay.
I don't know who was first. We've got one in the middle, one over here on the side. Oh, Wanda won. Um, I understand what you're saying, all of that, the fruit. I totally get that. But I kind of was thinking the same thing Tim was saying because I have two scriptures that I don't know where they're at. I just kind of know. I'll booger it It says up. somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. There you go. That comes to my mind, and one is where Jesus assures us nobody is going to snatch us out of his righteous right hand. And then the other one is something about, okay, I just lost it, condemn you when your heart condemns you, for I am greater than your heart. So how do those two, because I'm not refuting anything you're saying, I'm just saying those two popped in my head. Yes. So the the first one, I think it's John uh, 5 or 6, I don't remember. 10? Ten twenty eight. Oh wow, I was way off. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So, what was that? Yes, they follow him. So the, we're asking a slightly different question. Jesus's question, if you really are my sheep and you are following me, is anyone going to come along and snatch you out of my hand, steal you out of the, the pen, uh, you know, break into the shelter and take you away? No, you're secure. You're safe. Why? Because I'm greater than the wolf. I'm greater than the, the false shepherd who comes along and tries to steal you away. But the question we're focused on is how do we know whether or not we're in his sheepfold? How do we know if we do know him? My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So we're talking to the wolf who's trying to bah, you know, pretend like he's a sheep, saying, I'm, I'm really a sheep. And no... Jesus' sheep know him, and they follow him. And you're, you're a wolf. You're devouring other sheep. You know, you're, you're not living like a sheep. So two different questions there, but the assurance, absolutely. The condemning, I want to say 2 Corinthians, but I don't remember. 1 John? Yeah, that's just a few pages over from 2 Corinthians. 3.19. Thank you. That's it. Nailed it. <laughs> By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So don't detach those assurances from what we do. John's not saying, hey, I want you to have this confidence. You know you know him uh, because of what you believe or what you prayed or whatever. No, no, no. We, he wants us to have that assurance even when our heart condemns us. And I would go back to John 2 that if we do sin, what do we do? We confess it and he is faithful to forgive us our sins. 
So that don't, don't detach it. We're dealing with the person who says, yeah, I sinned and I'm not going to confess it and I'm going to keep on doing it because I love it. But I know I'm going to heaven because I said a prayer in Awana. No, no, you don't. You don't know him. His sheep follow him. His sheep know him. And we know that we have come to know him because we keep his commandments. We know that we, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of the son of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Okay, follow up. Hello, there we go. So I always thought that kind of meant, you know, you can feel like I am doing a terrible job of being a Christian. I mean, I, you know, I mean, hopefully everybody, I'm not the only one that feels that way. So I have to tell myself, God is saying, don't condemn yourself. I know you. I, I know that you're going to have, I don't know. Yes. That's, am I inaccurate in kind of thinking that? That is not inaccurate. That's insufficient. So take what you're saying and add to it. And Lord, help me now to walk in your commandments. Help me now to walk in your word. You don't want that confidence that there is no condemnation and then turn around and do what's clearly condemned by his word. So, but ultimately it's like when you're disciplining your children, it is not the discipline that is you're out of my house. It is, I love you. And because I love you, you're not, you're never going to do that again. Do you understand me? <laughs> you, you are never going to do that again. That's the kind of love that he's saying. He's not condemning us in an ultimate sense. He's not, uh, you know, expelling us from the house. He is disciplining us to correct us. And he really does want us to change. He really does want us to walk the way that he walked. Okay, I think Linda... Um, so I understand in all these references when it's saying eternal life, I understand what's being said there. And it's my understanding that eternal life is a present possession as well as future. Yep. But is it correct to also say that everyone has eternal life? It's just a matter of, is it going to be in heaven or hell? Yes. Okay, so the... The issue that Linda's bringing up is, isn't it true that everyone kind of has eternal life because the dead, the righteous, and the unrighteous will be raised from the dead? Absolutely, the unrighteous will also be raised from the dead. Daniel chapter 12 and also Revelation uh, 20-ish. And you're going to want to check that because you know how I've been doing this morning. But Daniel, Daniel 12, 1 and 2 makes that absolutely clear. The unrighteous and the righteous are going to be raised from the dead. The Bible doesn't speak of the unrighteous being raised from the dead as eternal life. Even though conceptually, sure, they're brought back to life, but then where do they go? They're sent to hell, which would be referred to as death. So they're brought back to life physically. That is, their suffering in hell will be a physical, eternal torment. It will not be some spiritual mumbo-jumbo. Just as the bodies that we have will be brought to life, so will theirs, except they're going to be sent to hell in those bodies. And that would, I would think, would be maybe more aptly called eternal death. 
But yes, there is a sense in which they, they are brought to life. They're resurrected. Everyone will live forever. There is, there is no human being that will cease to be. Contra John Stott. Unfortunate. Okay. We have five minutes, which is probably enough time for one more, maybe two, depending. Did you get the question out of Shepherd there, Mitchell? You had a question. He thought John 5 was talking about him. I am the good shepherd. <laughs> okay, Tim. So could you touch on in Scripture where it talks about, and this was the last part of your sermon, the difference between entering the kingdom and inheriting the kingdom? Mm. Not sure I could do that off the top of my head uh, exhaustively. The, okay, so there's a couple, couple things I can talk about. I, can't, I don't think I can ultimately answer the question. The idea of entering the kingdom of heaven seems to be a future event. Not just seems to be. There isn't a kingdom here on earth right now. There will be a time when Jesus comes and he will have a kingdom. We want to enter that future kingdom. So that largely speaks of the future. But there's a sense in which I can say the kingdom is here now among you. And you can enter that kingdom now, spiritually. But it's not ultimately fulfilled until later on. Inheriting the kingdom kind of means you are going to enter that kingdom. You have a promise that you will one day inherit it. And that's the, the, the main difference. We, we can right now be heirs of that kingdom, even if we haven't actually entered it yet. Uh, but one day we will enter it and strive to enter that kingdom. That's, that, that's Jesus, I think. <laughs> Sorry, my references aren't coming to me right now. <laughs> strive to enter the kingdom, right? That's Jesus. Yeah. At least I got the author right. Okay, last question or a three-minute prayer. <laughs> oh, that sparked a question. <laughs> she shot up. All right, we'll see how well I can articulate this. I'm just thinking um, of assurance in terms of parenting young children, say like four. When, how would you best um, give them not necessarily assurance, but not having them go, oh, well, I said this prayer. I'm assured now because that's what my parents have been telling me. Like, am I a Christian? Oh, yeah, mom and dad said I was, not leaning that direction, but also teaching them how that they can see as they're still learning, like, what am I doing? Am I just obeying mom and dad because otherwise I'm going to get disciplined versus how am I acting when they're going, I don't know if I'm a Christian. You know, I've, I think I've prayed a prayer, but I'm bawling at night because I don't want to go to hell. Like, how do you counsel them but not give them inaccurate information that they're going to cling on to later in life? I mean, you'll continue to train them. Yeah, you don't want to give them false assurance, but it's also hard to be like, well, my four-year-old's bawling in the middle of the night because they don't want to go to hell. Yes. Um, let, me, let me just refer to 1 John 2, um, 1 through 6. This is a, a, a great place to go. I, and I would encourage all of us, 
not just in this topic, but in whatever topic we're dealing with, do your best to use the words of God because they're eternal and perfect. And often when we use our own words to explain it, we add in just a little, well, that's not quite as accurate. So feel comfortable relying on what God says. So I'm not sure I could give you the right answer, but I think 1 John 2 gives us that. Um, Let me just read it and we'll close with this. You can ask me further questions afterwards if you want. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And that's even to a four-year-old, you can say, hey, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner in which he walked. And if we are walking in the same manner in which he walked, he wants us to have confidence. And where we're stumbling, he wants us to confess that. And we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Let me pray, and then you can stay afterwards if you have further questions. Lord God, we thank you for this uh, challenge and this teaching that we've started in James, but have gone all over the New Testament. I pray that it would bear much fruit in our lives, that it would change the way that we think and, and speak. And I pray that there, there might be among us a pursuit of righteousness, without which we will not see the kingdom of God that there will be a genuine desire, not out of some legalistic bent, not in order to be saved, but a real pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would become more like him in our hearts depending upon you, in our hearts loving our brothers. And I pray that that would be visible, um, that we would bear much fruit and so prove to be your disciples. And that as we love one another, even the world would see that we are your children because we have your commandment and we keep it and walk in it. Guard us in that truth. Help us to bear much fruit that we would prove to be your disciples and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You are dismissed. Welcome to stay for more questions. Or-